We're going to take our final look today at the prophetic word that the Lord gave to me way back at the tail end of September last year uh, about a year of great increase for the body of Christ. How many of us have managed to just read around this subject matter in Revelations 3 verse 8? It says, Behold, I have opened for you a door that no man could shut. And um, I want to just say to you, that doesn't need, it doesn't need to be a prophetic word for us to embrace it. Let me tell you why. Because the word of God, the word of God is given to us for counsel, for wisdom, for correction, for encouragement, and for alignment to truth. So even if you don't think it's a prophetic word, and I'm happy with that, it's God's word. And God's word is what we build our lives on. It's what we allow to lead us um, as we walk with Jesus through this mortal coil, as it's called. So way back in September 2023, what happened on the earth is that the Jewish New Year began, uh, I think it was on September the 15th, around about six o'clock in the evening, we became aware of a Jewish New Year, and that New Year has some significance for us. Around about that, the same time, I had a dream, and in that dream, God showed me that I was standing on a threshold of, a, of a, a, a place that seemed insecure, and he wanted me to walk with him. In fact, he said, stand upright and walk forward. And as I did that, I saw this light, this great light, tiny little speck at first, but it became greater as I drew nearer to it. And, and, and as I got to that, I realized it was an open door. And when I woke from the dream, when I woke from that dream, I felt God gave me the scripture in Revelation 3, which is, behold, I set before you an open door that no man can shut. What I didn't know, it was, it was a Jewish New Year. What I didn't know that all around the world is there are many people who have caught something of this moment and are starting to speak into it and minister to it. And so we are not on our own in this adventure. We are a, a group of people who are hearing maybe what God is saying to us and trying to work that out. But even if you don't believe in prophecy, if you don't have that kind of understanding of prophecy, we have this promise that sits very comfortably with all of us. And, and this is this promise. It says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your young men will prophesy, and listen to this, your old men will dream dreams. Well, in light of what I just shared with you, you know what category I fit into. Okay, your old men will dream dreams. On both male and female, young and old, I will pour out my spirit. The promise of God is that as we move towards the close return of Jesus Christ, there will be this outpouring of the spirit on all flesh. Now, that may not seem like a significant thing to you, but it's really important for us to understand that God is very strategic in how he leads and guides us into all that he has planned and purposed for us. God is very strategic and nothing is wasted in the scriptures and every promise he has made to us is available to us in Christ Jesus, amen? amen. Also this hangs over this moment. It says that the glory of the latter house, is speaking about the people of God, the glory of the latter house will far surpass that of its former glory. Now what does that mean to us today? That means that however good the past has been, however great our experiences of God, has anybody had any good experiences with God? Have you been in times of refreshing with the Lord? The charismatic renewal of the 80s, I think it was, late 70s, early 80s, was a fantastic time for the body of Christ. There was a, a move of the Holy Spirit in 1994 through Toronto, a great time for the body of Christ, the Pensacola revival. And if you go back in history over and over again, God has come in his great grace and mercy and he has blessed his people. But all of those put together, all of that, that glory where God has moved and changed and transformed his people is nothing in comparison to the glory that he promises the latter house. Now today, you may not have a great expectation of that. You may not even have a great handle on what that would look like, but we're stepping towards that as tentatively and as humbly as we can, and we're saying, yes, Lord. We're saying, more, Lord. We're saying, God, let this be according to your plan and your purpose. Let this refreshing, let this revival, let this outpouring, let this, the glory of the latter house, let it become apparent to us. Now, I want to just help you a bit because that glory is not about you getting a new job. Okay, God has a much bigger plan in mind 
than just your personal breakthrough. And I'm hoping in this season that you will have personal breakthroughs. Personal breakthroughs are a testimony that this word is true. And there are already indicators of many personal breakthroughs that people are coming to me and sharing. And it's a sign to us to help us be a little bit more assured that what we're hearing is the voice of God. God is kind like that and generous like that. And your personal breakthrough is really important to you and it may lead into greater things that God has for you. But the greater thing that God invites us to is not just our personal breakthrough, which is nice, is that he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. Because I don't know how you feel about this today, but Birmingham really does need Jesus. Our nation really does need Jesus. Amen? The nations really need Jesus. And so this great outpouring is not just about the church having some kind of you know, personal encounter with God. That's great, and we say yes and amen to that. But it's about all flesh, society, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue being blessed by the one who pours himself out by his spirit on their lives. And we are getting ready for that. I'm excited. Come on, your miseries. I'm getting excited. I'm excited. And let me tell you some things that perhaps you don't notice so easily. Last Sunday, we had this incredible moment where without anyone engineering it or a pastor trying to encourage it, the church just erupted in joy. Was there anybody here last week? You don't honestly think it was because the musicians were on form. Because they're on form every Sunday. You don't think it was the song choice, do you, that caused that to happen? Speak to me. No. And you certainly didn't come in a good mood, so it wasn't you. So who did it? The Holy Spirit. It's the beginnings. It's the beginnings. This morning I have felt in our worship a greater sense of the presence of God. There's an open heaven that's starting to emerge over our lives. Someone say hallelujah. An open heaven isn't the place of privilege, it's a place where his presence is so real to us that we start to walk in the fullness of the character and the nature and the person of Jesus Christ. Now nobody manufactured that, and I was in the prayer room, there was nobody praying about that. God is at work amongst you. And he's leading us to life. Leading us out of darkness into his light. Some of us have been living in shady places for quite a long time. There's this shadow hanging over us. Well, I'm telling you, it's gone in the name of Jesus Christ. There's this kind of aftermath from COVID and all that took place there. And anxiety and worry have become common in our society. But that cloud has passed and the sun is beginning to shine again. Behold, the winter has passed. Oh, the winter has passed. And none of us deserve that, or earned that, or created that. That's simply the breath of God landing in hearts and lives. Watch out, because the glory of the latter house will be absolutely amazing. And why is it the latter house? Because I think we're living in very urgent times. If you look around you in the world, you'll see that all kinds of evil is prevailing. Nation conspires against nation. There is so much division in society. I've never seen it like that before. And I'm only 25, but maybe for those of you who lived later than that. You know, I've never seen levels of anxiety. Depression is on the rise. Suicide in young men is off the scale. People feel hopeless without any ability to function or fathom how to live their lives. And yet in the midst of that place which is so disrupting and destructing, God speaks and he says to us, in the midst of the crisis, he says to us, behold, I have opened a door before you that no man could shut. I think if we understood the significance that that has for the nations, we would rise to our feet and celebrate and exalt the living God. Isn't it just like him at the weakest and most broken part of our human experience to speak life? And when he speaks life, his word will not return to him void, but will accomplish that which he has set it out to do. But I need, I need to be able to open my heart to that possibility. 
And I can't do that for you. Not only is there an open door for you, there's a door inside of you that's for some of us in this room has been locked tight for many years. We don't mind God in the meetings, but we're not gonna have him turn up in our lives. That's why he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if you open that door, if you open your heart to God and all the possibilities and the promises he's made, he says this, I will come in, into you, into your life, into the broken, desperate, weak and weary part of you. I will come in and I will have fellowship. And the word there for fellowship is koinonia, which means real community. God will come and have community in you, with you. Now, I'm excited about that, but obviously some of you didn't get the memo. That's a good thing to be excited about, that God would come and have fellowship with us. Are we back on the screen? Can you put it on this thing at the back for me, please? Would that be okay? Because I don't, can't see here. Yet. Yet. So this new year is signified by these four numbers, 5784, and it started on the 15th of September, 2023. We're camping around this promise, I've told you already what that is. We're looking at some things that we need to do to partner with God for all that he wants to do, and here are a couple of things I think you should probably write down because they're important to us if we're going to see this come to pass in our lives. The first one is this, radical alignment. Now what do I mean by that? Much of our life is not lived according to the word of God. Hello? We have adopted all kinds of weird and wonderful notions. We have bought into this and bought into that. And our hearts and our lives in many ways do not have the clarity or the certainty that the word of God would like us to have. I was talking with some ministers the other day and I recognized this truth that the church of Jesus Christ in this day has lost its confidence in the gospel. We think we've got to come up with all kinds of clever ideologies to win the city for Jesus, but actually there's no other way by which people can be saved but through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And you can wrap that up in as many bows you want, but if you're not careful, it'll get hidden by some of the paraphernalia. We need to have a growing trust that the gospel is the only way for people to be saved. Now, there are churches that love to do all kinds of things. I'm not against that. If you've been part of us for a while, you know we like to celebrate. Have you picked that up? We like to celebrate the people that God has blessed us with. We like to make sure that people in the community are taken care of. But church, listen to me. What does it matter if I feed somebody if they're going to hell for eternity? Now, should I feed somebody? Yes, absolutely I should. Absolutely I should. But what does it matter if their food in their belly does not take them to the eternity that Jesus Christ provided for them? And so what we do, we have all these kind of sensory feelings around what the gospel really is. People don't witness anymore. Why? Because they've lost confidence that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and it can speak life and truth. Now I'm not propagating standing on street corners and telling everybody they're going to hell. But if you don't speak, whose mouth is God going to use to lead someone to faith in Jesus Christ? Your tongue has the power of life and death in it and you should use it for the glory of God. It's for his glory it was given to you and you should use it for the glory of God. This is going well. So we need a radical alignment. The average Christian reads their Bible for 15 minutes a week. You have a Bible app you don't engage with it because all it is is a scripture. And yet, this is what the Bible says about itself, that heaven and earth will pass away, but what will be left is the word of God and the church of Jesus Christ. There's some things in your life, in my life, that need radical alignment. We've lost some clarity, some certainty, some assurance about some things because all of these other ideologies have come into the church of Jesus Christ. But it's his word and his word alone that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. 
And I'm grateful to all of the things that God has opened up for us as a church, but this church, your church, the church you're part of, or the church you're visiting today, actually believes that the word of God is the only truth that we should be living by. Now I know there are lots of truths in our world and lots of ideologies and lots of things people say and that's fine, that's up to them, but if you're a Christian here today, the word of God is the final word. That should have been a hallelujah moment. The word of God is is the final word on what is or isn't real about life. And if you're not reading it, and you're not studying it, and you're not living it, then the days that lie ahead of you are gonna be very, very interesting. You will be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And in a world full of fake news, aren't you grateful for the good news? Aren't you grateful for the truth? That God has spoken truth to us and we know where we stand when we read his word and we know how to stand when we read his word and we know what we stand for when we read his word. And that makes all of the deceptions, and, the de- and there's many, there's a lot of propaganda in the world about what is or isn't spiritual. It makes all of that exposed for what it truly is. Just human ideology. So we need radical alignment. How many of us are living wholeheartedly for Jesus? Don't answer the question, I don't want to be <laughs> guilty of exposing anything, but you know, radical alignment is about living wholeheartedly for Jesus. And why would that be important? Because Jesus is wholehearted about you. He is fully given over to you. And of course, if you want to live in the reality of that given over state, you have to give yourself over to him. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans puts it this way, present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is holy and pleasing to God. And he goes on to say that that's that's how decent, if that, that's the beginning, if you like, the decent act of worship we can offer God. It's going to take a massive move of the Holy Spirit to make us wholehearted. You can't do that by human effort. That's gotta be a work of God. And we need a radical alignment to that. And who do we know that's radical, that aligns? but God himself by the power of his spirit and his word. We need God to make us new. We need God to bring us into the truth that sets us free. Are you still awake? The second thing we need is just that, awakening. I think the COVID in many ways caused the church to fall asleep. I think we got concerned about personal protection and safety. I think we got introspective in the way we think about life. In fact, if I'm honest with you, I think what it produced was a whole bunch of people who were obsessed with themselves. And the trinity of me, myself, and I rages at the core of every human heart because my flesh cries out It cries out to be satisfied. Now whether that's safety or supply or sufficiency, it cries out to be satisfied. But you know what? No matter how many masks we wore, we didn't manage to escape COVID. And that introspection that I think became part of human experience around that time, how can you look to find God when your eyes are fixed on you? I think it was Keith Green who wrote those words in a song many years ago I used to sing, Lord, my, it's hard for me to see when my eyes are on me. So we need awakening. We need God to awaken us to his glory, amen, amen. to his presence, amen. We don't wanna be dull when it comes to his presence. We don't wanna be so preoccupied with us, we don't know he's here. We don't know that he's moving. We don't know that he's ministering in this room or in our lives on a personal level. We wanna be aware, we wanna be highly sensitive to the Holy Spirit, amen. And for some of us, we just need to get away from some things that have been holding us down and step towards the great expansive reality of the love of the Father. You know, God's love is powerful. 
It's powerful. So there's a lot of stuff there, isn't there? A lot of stuff there. And you know what? There's only one way to attain it. And it's called divine rest. You can't work your way into that kind of future. You can't pray your way into that kind of reality. You can't study your way into that kind of renewal. The key to all that God is opening up is not your effort. Although for some of us, a little effort might go a long way. But striving won't give you the inheritance that the Father has for you. Because it's not by might. And it's not by power. But it is by His Spirit. And the change that's necessary in me won't come because I try harder. It'll come because I see more. That I behold him as he truly is, the God of love and beauty and majesty. And my heart caves in under the great glory that he demonstrates to me. And as I see him, I am equipped by his spirit to become like him. You can't do that in a hurry. God's not in a hurry. So we need to learn to abide. I often think the greatest battle for most Christians is the battle for intimacy with God. I mean, we talk about cities and nations and all of those things, but you know, the devil knows that better is one day in his courts than a thousand things elsewhere that you seek to do. And intimacy creates something in you that causes God to use it gloriously through you. And so his greater work is that the world will be transformed through the working of his presence in and through your life. When we were in Glasgow, we had a, a young man come and he started using a word I'd never really thought of before in regard to who the people of God truly are. And he used the word marinate. Now it's a, t a term that's used, I think, to describe a process that takes place in cooking. You marinate something. Has anybody ever marinated anything? Yes. So you leave it sitting there for 10 seconds. <laughs> and suddenly all of those spices and all the wonder that's been prepared around it has seeped deep down into the core of whatever it is that you're marinating. And the truth is that does not happen. And he, he used this demonstration, if I take an onion and I dip it in some pickle juice, all I have is an onion that's wet by pickle juice. But if I take an onion and I leave it in some pickle juice, and it stays there for a significant period of time, when I take that onion out, I have a pickle, are you hungry? I'm hungry. I take that out, I have a pickled onion. If you want to be marinated by God, it's going to take some significant time. You can't pop in and get marinated. You have to abide. Listen to this, Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High dwells, dwells. He who dwells, not visits, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, listen to what that produces, will rest. He who dwells in the shelter will rest in the shadow. In other words, the governance will rest in the shadow of who? The one who is almighty. And there's something about this process that we need to get because you cannot work this. You have to receive this. It's a gift from God. You need more time with Jesus. I'm sorry. I need more time with Jesus. If I had more time with Jesus, I'd talk less and I'd have more power. Who said Amen. <laughs> and if that works for me, it must work for you. Yeah? So, all that God wants to do can only be accomplished through rest. A divine invitation to come and be with him. Hallelujah. Come and be with him. And let him be with you. And as he is with you, you will be with others. Something will marinate your soul to such a point that it won't be all the fancy things you're saying to your friends that affect people. You will just be completely marinated in the love 
and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of the God who has poured himself out on you. And the problem for most of us is we're trying to give away what we don't have. You can't give that away. And people sniff that out, you know. We just have a gospel of words, but they need to see the power. And that power is not earthly power. That's the gentleness and the beauty and the majesty and the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. I think when it comes to power, we have two paradigms at work in our lives. The first one is an earthly power. And you know how earthly power works. If I was to give you a demonstration of somebody who was powerful, it's probably some mighty warrior with a physique like mine, but seven foot tall. And what we mean when we look at that image of power, we see someone who is clearly, clearly a powerful individual physically. Yeah. If we saw that from a spiritual point of view, we'd say, surely that's what power in the body of Christ looks like. We need people of stature. But I want to tell you this, that God's power is not of the world. It's not, it doesn't look like that. His power in the back end of nowhere with somebody nobody even knew was a person of interest or concern. God took all the power <laughs> that the son has and placed it in the womb of a 14 or 15 year old girl. If you wanna know what heavenly power looks like, it's very different than earthly power. And that vulnerability, that vulnerability is how God changes and transforms society. He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's worldly power, but humbled himself even unto a servant state, even to a place where he died. Heavenly power is very different than earthly power. And how does heavenly power begin to work in and through our lives? Through divine rest. Being in the presence of God, you will be affected and infected with heavenly power. The book of Matthew chapter five, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says to his disciples who come to him and they're asking loads of questions. How do you do this? How do you live like this? It's mad. We can't get our heads around it. And he says, you know, well, this isn't the way it looks. And he points to people standing on street corners going, don't work like that. If you want this, if you want what I carry, go into your room. Get away from the noise and the distractions. Close the door. And what your father sees in secret, power. He will reward in public. Why are we powerless? Why when we pray does nothing happen much? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, turn from their sin, that's all this stuff that gets in the way, and seek my face, I will pour out my spirit on their barren land. Who is he talking about? You, me. We are so distracted that we have been destroyed. And just in case you think you're missing anything, have a look around you. There's not that much to miss, is there? Better is one day in your courts. Better is one moment with you, Jesus, than a thousand things that I give myself to. I think we gotta have a ruthless elimination of some things to make space and room for God to help us abide. Are you still awake? Yes. Nudge your neighbor and say, are you still awake? Is he awake? For some of us, 2024 will not be without some kind of engagement with this. And I feel the Holy Spirit say this to me the other day that some of us are gonna to have to knock. The door has been promised to have been opened but we're gonna to have to knock and I believe God is going to raise up radical intercessors. Not miserable intercessors because there's enough of them to sink a ship. Radical intercessors. God is going to raise up happy people where the joy of the Lord strengthens them to such a point they live in this consistent connection with him 
interacting with his voice, hearing his heart, understanding his ways. And I don't know if that's you, but some of you, this door that's opening for you, you're gonna have to knock. And the reason why we have to go through that process is because God is preparing us for what is ahead of us. You see, prayer is not about me changing God's mind. Prayer is about God changing my heart. Real prayer transforms me. Now some of us are praying for other people to change. <laughs> Haven't you done that? I've, I've counseled enough married couples and they both come in and both parties think the real problem is the one sitting opposite them in the room. And I have to say to them, start with you. You can't do anything about her or him, but you can do something about you. Now, we have this problem because we always think that God wants to eliminate the things that create difficulties for us. And I want to suggest to you something quite different. Some of those things are a setup. Some of those people, God has handpicked from the foundations of the earth to get right up your spiritual nostrils. And there you were, binding the devil. Might have been God all the time. But you see, somewhere 10 years ago, you prayed for God to heal your heart over something, and this is the adversity that creates the glory. And you want to circumvent it, and you want to get through it as quickly as you can. Sometimes, intercession, me meeting with God, is about me changing so that I can inherit what the Father wants to give me. It's about personal transformation. It's not about changing my problems. God, see, if there's somebody in my life who's critical, don't you, like me, fall into the trap of wanting to be critical? And we say all kinds of it just for prayer purposes. What's the opposite if somebody's critical? What's the opposite? Encouragement. Has anyone ever been criticized? Talk to me, girls, come on. Have you been criticized? Isn't there a temptation to be critical back? The Bible says we must come at such things in the opposite spirit. So if somebody's criticizing you, do you know how to stop them? Oh, you look lovely today. Do you know, you really bless me when you pray. I mean, there might be 50,000 other things you really detest, but find the one thing, the one thing that you can hang your spiritual hat on and say, I'm going after the good in you. I'm going after, anybody tried this? It says that Jesus was spat upon criticized and he never opened his mouth to protest or to put anybody right concerning his life. <sighs> I mean, I'm on all kinds of WhatsApp groups. <laughs> I can find you a scripture to back up my position. And if I'm really serious about it, I can give you a whole sermon on it. <laughs> But listen to me, church. If I'm living in the peace of God, if I'm living in the abiding reality of his presence, I live from a different place. And while the world is hostile, I know that the greatest work that's happening is not in him or her. The greatest work that's happening is in me. You're making me like you, Jesus. You're changing me. You're transforming me. You're making me humble. Gosh, it's hard. Sometimes I'm humiliated, not humbled. It's hard, but I trust that he who began a good work in me is carrying it on until it's completed. Or do you think the devil is carrying it on until it's completed? Who do you think will win that argument or battle? Jesus, he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Stop blaming everybody. Stop binding everything and ask the Holy Spirit, is this you working in me, making me ready for all? And if you don't get the training, you won't get the reigning. And when the breakthrough comes, you won't be able to sit in it and stand in it with the authority that you require for it because you will have done the wrong thing to try and get the right thing. And God is trying to speak to someone here today and say, look, knock, come to me, seek me with all of your heart and the door will be open to you. Here are some things that are changing. The first one is the church. I was talking with somebody earlier and they said this to me, they said, the church doesn't work. I said, oh, I know. We're trying to get them to work, but they won't work. What they meant was something far more profound than that. They were a young person, and they were suggesting 
that the way we do church or the way we interact with one another actually for younger people doesn't work. Does it? They're looking for something different. They want authentic, transparent community. How's that gonna go? Because some of us have been so hidden for 50 years now. When you get into your small group, what do you talk about? How great the sermon was on Sunday? Please, occasionally it'll be nice. But actually, there's some things going on that need vulnerability. They need transparency. And while we're all pretending that we're better than we are, we're all faking it until we make it. Who's going to be the first in this season to be honest and say, I'm really struggling with some things? Book of James says, confess your sins one to another. When were you ever in a meeting where someone got up and confessed their sins? <laughs> and young people are looking for authentic relationships. They're not looking for people to have all the power and all the authority and say all the right things. Look, does this person have a real life? <laughs> I mean, if we cut you, do you actually bleed? Or is it royalty and it's blue that comes out? What happens? What happens to you whenever you're angry with people? What do you do with that, Michael? Joe, where do you go whenever you're tempted sexually? Who do you talk to about those things? What happens whenever the world feels like a very hostile place and you come to church and we're all dancing and saying how wonderful it all is. We're all overcomers and you feel left. I haven't even got out of bed this week. You see, young people are looking for what the first century church modeled. And that was transparency and vulnerability. God's got of work to do in us. And we need refreshing and we need revival. Second thing I think God's gonna do is gonna do something majestic at government level. I'll just let that sit with you. Most of the things that we are struggling with in our society, can you hear me without judging me? are because we don't have godly leaders who make the right choices for the sake of the people. And I am tired of turning on the television and watching politicians rip and strip things off other politicians. I don't believe that's politics. Real politics is changing the world in which people live in for good. And we need, at a government level, a real shift. One of the statistics that's really scary is most young people now have disengaged from the process of election because they have lost trust in the system. Now whether you're Labour Conservative or the crazy loony party, I don't care what you belong to. I think you probably fit better in the crazy loony party because we are peculiar people. It's irrelevant to me what your particular focus is, but if you look at politics and the government in general, and not just in the United Kingdom, around the world, it's a rare thing to find someone who's making decisions that aren't self-serving for their political agenda. And there's a corruption at that level that has to change. Because God wants to transform this world into a place through this church where goodness and mercy follow people all the days of their lives. And while we criticize those in a power and authority, which I think everyone's guilty of, oh, I don't like him. I don't even know why I don't like him. He just didn't like his jumper or something. It's not even fully thought through. Oh, I'm not keen on all that. Stop criticizing leaders. You are cutting off the favor of God on your life by criticizing people that have been appointed in positions of authority. There's a scriptural principle that says, honor your leaders, pray for them. Honor isn't submitting to everything, it's acknowledging that they carry a particular responsibility that deserves some level of honor. Because tonight when you go home, you won't be thinking about the economy. You won't be up all night because the interest rates have changed. 
But those people that live at that level live consistently in an environment where those decisions either make or break their hearts and their lives. And of course, what's happened is they become self-serving and they politicize their answers and they engineer their outcomes. And it's time for the church to take back its governmental anointing. Oh, please, Jesus, help me. It's time for the church to take back its government. Do you know where the government really is? On his shoulders. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And so how does the government on his shoulders function when I take my governmental place in intercession and prayer and seek the heart of God for the benefit of others, not just myself? The government comes upon my shoulders. I get that governmental anointing from heaven that makes my prayers effective in the throne room of God. Amen. Who said amen? Medicine and healthcare. God is gonna do something phenomenal in spite of the fact that we've made a God out of science. This is the open door. Do you wanna go? Do you wanna be part of that? Let me tell you why that's important, that little phrase. I went to visit a lady a, a couple of months ago. She kind of loosely connected to us here, knows somebody who attends the church, and, and is on a faith journey herself. And I went to see her a few times and prayed with her, and then I hear this ser- terrible sad news that her cancer has come back, and they really have uh, said this time it would be ultimately terminal. And so I thought, well, I'll just go and say hello, you know, Goodness, that's hard, isn't it, to hear? She's a lovely lady. Left as a widow about five or six years ago. And um, I've been trying to make sense of that ever since. And so I went to visit. On, on the way to visit her, the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, this will not end in death. And God said to me, you need to tell her that she's not going to die just yet. I said, you tell her. <laughs> You tell her, if that's what you think, you tell her, you know, I don't know. No, God said, I think you need to tell her, inform her that she's not gonna die yet. I thought, I am not saying anything. This woman's just had a diagnosis. It looks really bleak. And um, I arrive at the house, having argued with God a little bit. I don't know if you do that, but I do that all the time. And she invites me out, it's a summer's day. She invites me out into the garden. She's got a lovely garden, she'd like some tea. Always tea for the vicar, tea. And I sat down and I'm looking across her, her garden and I think, I need to tell her that this isn't going to end the way she thinks it's going to end. So she comes in, she sits down, or comes out rather, sits down, and she's telling me that she's organizing everything. And she said to me, do you know, that piece of furniture, I'm thinking of selling it. Would you like that, Simon? Because she knows I'm into antiques. I said, oh no, I have no room for that. And she began talking about you know, how she's trying to put her affairs in some kind of order and she needed to repair a relationship with a family member. And, and then she went on to say, well, you know, and I've chosen all of my hymns for my funeral service, and I'm listening to this, and I simply couldn't help myself, and I'm being honest with you, all I said is, do you want to die? And she said, no. I said, well, why are you planning for it? Why are you planning for it? If you don't want to die, why are you planning it? Hello? It made perfect sense to me, and you're all looking at me like I'm speaking a foreign language here. If you don't want to die, why are you planning your death? I said to her, you know, this is really weird, but on my way over here, I felt God tell me to say this to you, and I've been a coward, but I'll say it to you now. I said, if you don't want to die, stop planning your death, because I feel God has told me that this is not the end for you. And I began to explain to her that Science has become a god in our world. And if the doctor says, then that's even more powerful than what God says. Oh, I know you're getting in it in your head. Oh, the doctors have expertise. Of the people involved in your life, who is the brightest? Is it your GP? Somebody laughed out loud there. They're probably in medical. 
Of course it isn't. Who knows the end before the beginning? Not your GP. <laughs> Hello? Not your GP. Who holds the stars in the sky? Is it your GP? Your consultant at the arthritic clinic? If you've seen their hands, they can't hold anything. They're holding nothing in the sky. Okay. Who says to the oceans, come this far and no further? Your GP? Hello? The specialist at the hospital? Who sets the stars in the sky and puts them into orbit on a Tuesday? Was that your GP? No. So let me ask you the question. Who has the final word, therefore, on all matters pertaining to your life? Is it your GP or is it God? And whose report, therefore, are you going to choose to believe? And you see, what's happened is we have become so dysfunctional in our faith, we have put our faith in inferior realities. And those inferior realities prevent us from experiencing the superior reality of the God who is able to do immeasurably more than anything right now I could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in me. I'm just going to keep going until the awakening happens, so you better hurry up because your chicken dinner will be dead. It will be dead. You can give a testimony. Perfect timing. I was very ill two years ago with COVID. That's what they call COVID. And uh, I was asking for the Lord to send me a ministering angel, and I saw him coming. Hey. I didn't see him in in, in, in a form, but I saw I saw him coming yeah. in a the, spiritual the, the, realm. Yeah, and in the speech, the speed he came. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that helped me. But I also case found the ambulance because I was very Ill, Ill and two ambulance women came and they said, they did all the tests and they said, the one, the one said to me very quietly because the other one shouldn't hear it, she said, don't go to hospital, they all die. It's not the same today, by the way. It's changed, it's changed, it's changed a bit. At that time, they all died in the yeah. hospital because they put things in there. Yeah. And so we took that as an answer from the Lord. And they found the doctor. She found the doctor what she had to give me, things that were forbidden by the government. So. She, they had to give, she had to, they had to give me that what she was telling them. And she did, and I was better in amen, no time. Amen, amen, <laughs> Praise the Lord. There's this wonderful moment where you have to make up your mind what really you believe and um, I can think across our marriage many, many, many times when we've had medical diagnosis or experiences that have not been positive, we always arrive at that place. Well, what will we believe about this? And, and one of the greatest impactful things is when a medical professional suggests that this is the outcome of your life. My brother sitting here has been told twice he hasn't got long to live and he's still here living and breathing. Now, uh, that's not because, not because medical people don't have great expertise, it's because God had a different plan. He just had a different plan. And, and, and if you wanna know what you believe, it's moments like that, really, where you just have to come to terms with that. Well, who will you believe? What you feel, what you sense? 
All of those things are important. No one's making light of them, they're important. We love the medical profession, we love the expertise that people have, but even they will testify that sometimes they thought there was no hope and hope came. You know, even they, because they're not God. I mean, they're like him, but they're not him. In our eyes, they're like him, but they're not him. Life and death is in the hands of the master. God decides who lives and God decides who dies. And so I believe that one of the greatest things that will be available to us is faith. Faith for those matters. And uh, there's the marketplace, revival within ourselves, the media, which I know God is crying out to the church to get involved in the media because the media shape culture and form a narrative in society and much of what we think we believe comes from the media. There's also between nations. I'm gonna end with an observation as a prophetic person, if that's okay. Division is never from God, except in one way. The Bible says that in the end times, he will separate the goats from the sheep, the wheat from the tares. So there will be a separation but that separation is not based on culture. It's not based on color. It's not based on anything to do with some of the separations and segregations that seem to be prevalent in our society. We segregate ourselves from each other and I believe it's a tactic of the enemy to bring division because if you break a people down you have power and influence over them far more easily and readily. And while I watch the narrative of all of the great things that can happen when it comes to injustice being you know, restored and people being you know, forgiven for what they've done, all of that is good. I wanna tell you this, that heaven is not about division. Heaven is about every nation, tribe and tongue, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. And the minute we start to segregate, the minute we start to separate ourselves as human beings, we start, I believe, to come under what I think is this fraction that the enemy wants to bring to society. And it's happening in all kinds of ways. And, and some of it I think we've gotta be open-hearted and understand that there's generational problems and difficulties that need to be resolved, that's absolutely right. But some of it is camping in a particular group of people for the sake of something that I can't change because it's happened somewhere, somehow, someplace, and the only thing that really, that could ever come out of it that would be good, okay, is that people love each other. That's the good that can come out of some of that stuff. And um, this is a big topic. I'm probably unqualified to speak to it. Forgive me if it's offended anyone. But I watch intently how the enemy segregates and separates people. And the nations are conspiring against each other. That's happening as we speak. The nations are conspiring against each other. And the people of God have to stand for something more than that. It's not about where you've come from, that's great. It's about where we're all going to. That's gonna be greater. And you know, I'm Irish and I'll die Irish with a shillelagh under me arm. And all the paraphernalia people think come with being Irish. But you know, more than being Irish, I'm human. And more than being human, I'm a son of God. And more than being a son of God, I'm a child of grace. And as a child of grace, who's been receiving grace for all these years, I need to offer grace to people. That doesn't always right the wrongs that's taking place, but it rights the wrongs that can take root in my heart and life. I do not want anything in my heart against a brother or a sister, whatever or however that seems to be the work and the ministry of the devil. He, he tried to do it with Jesus when he got filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of his baptism. He started to put a little wedge in it. You know, with Adam and Eve, a little wedge. Did God really say? There's been little wedges in your marriage. Well, we're female. Great. Well, we're male. Oh. Watch, watch society. There's this 
twisting and turning and segregation and separating of people. And yet, the Bible says this, that when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity, there the Lord commands his blessing. And so the greater thing is that I'm your brother in Christ Jesus. We may have different politics, we may have different life experiences, but I'm your brother. And when we get to heaven, we'll be together in heaven, worshiping Jesus, the lamb that was slain for the rest of eternity. And if I'm looking at the brokenness I see now in humanity, I could get offended, I could resist, I could separate myself, I could segregate myself, and you could likewise. But actually, the wonderful thing about the church is that we should be the opposite to what's happening in the world. And I really believe this last one is one of the major players where Satan is trying to bring division on our planet. Nation is conspiring against nation. And right in the middle of all those realities, there's a people who look wholeheartedly at a brother or sister's face and want only love and the best for that person. Let us be the people we're called to be. Let us be the kind of people that transform society by loving people back to life. I know there's hurt, I know there's pain, I will never make light of that, but actually even pain can be a great place of blessing when we bring it to God, surrender it to his mercy, allow him to minister to us. We can become stronger as a result of it. We can become agents of transformation because of it. Just a thought. So what about the sheep and the goats? (laughs) There are people here, and I make no presumption that you're born again. You can come to church all you like. Going to McDonald's doesn't make me a hamburger. It just doesn't. I mean, I've eaten a few of them, but it doesn't. I may look a little like one, but I'm not. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed your need for him? Have you recognized that living separated from him is not what he wanted or willed for your life? Have you gone your own way and done your own thing to find that it wasn't all that you thought it was? Are you following him? Are you worshiping him? Are you living for him? Big question. Are you a sheep who's been brought into the fold of God because grace and mercy has cleansed you and healed you and restored you? Or are you a willful goat on the hillside carving out some life for yourself? The only segregation I can see in scripture according to God's economy are those who have come into relationship with him and those who have chosen not to. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to cross over. To step away from the willfulness, the selfishness, and the isolation of living independently. And come home, come back home to the Father who sent his son Jesus to die for you. So that you could have the full reality of God's presence and his blessing in your life. So... Shall we shut our eyes for a minute? I want us all to pray this prayer. For someone it'll be real. Oh thank you, you're standing too, that's even better. Or is that you telling me it's finished? (laughs) I don't mind. Let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving up your life so that I could have new life. Thank you for forgiving my sin, Jesus. In fact, I want to ask you to do that personally. Forgive me my sin, Jesus. And I have sinned. Wash me clean, Jesus, by your precious blood. And come into my heart and take over my life, Jesus. I want to be part of your family. 
you, Jesus. Now, if you've prayed that prayer, accepting Jesus' forgiveness of your sins and you've invited him to come into your heart and your life for the first time, I would love you, please, just to put your hand up because I've got some things that perhaps I could give to you to help you with your onward journey. If that's you and you've prayed that prayer for the first time, just raise your hand and raise it now. And you might have been in this church a while. It doesn't matter. Nobody's watching you, but God is looking at your heart and he's saying, it's time now. It's time for you to come in to the relationship that I have always wanted with you. If you've been living outside of that and you hear all these wonderful stories of people who experience God and you've thought, what about me, God? When will that happen to me? This is your moment. Pray that prayer and invite Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life. And if that's you, because I've got some stuff to give you and I'd love to meet with you and pray with you, then lift your hand and lift your hand now, please. I'll wait for you. Ah, great, thank you, thank you. Could I ask you to be brave and come out here? Would you mind doing that? Would you mind? And God will reward you for that, young man. He will reward you for that. What a blessing to see someone offer their hearts to Jesus in that way. Is there, wait, 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 wait. Thank you, well done, sir. Is there anyone else who wants to join him here? You want to give your life to Jesus for the first time? Come on out and join us here. We're at the front. We're waiting. I know you want to. Don't be embarrassed by people. People don't matter in a moment like that in the sense that you shouldn't be too distracted by what people think or don't think about what you do. This is between you and God. I'm not going to labor this but I am gonna make sure that he gets the best opportunity to receive Jesus and anyone else here who'd want to receive Jesus too. If that's you, please come out. Now, Christian, can I tell you, you're not safe with me, you know, because this turnaround is necessary for all of us to be fully engaged with what God wants to do. We need to be fully available to the God who wants to do it. And um, I wanna ask you, if you're living that life that you're living and you know it's compromised, and you know that your heart has grown distant from God in some way, shape, or form, I want you to come out. I want you to come out. Don't worry about the time. This is more important than your dinner. Okay, I want you to come out and say, God, I want to get right with you. I want this to be a great season of life and abundance and fullness in my heart. And I'm tired of hiding. And I'm sick to death of being compromised, Jesus. And I need you. I need you to do something for me. Come and touch me with a fresh touch of your Holy Spirit. If that's you, why don't you come now? Come now. Come now. I know there are people here who need this. Come now. And there are more. Why is it important we're wholehearted? Because he's wholehearted. And to receive the benefits of that wholeheartedness, I need to be available to him in every part of my life. Come now, come now, come to the altar where grace and mercy will be afforded to you. There's no condemnation in this moment, just grace. If you're watching online and you need to do this, please just speak to the Lord about that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Come home. The Father is waiting. Come back. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the hearts that have come to you, Lord, seeking, seeking to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be healed, to be restored. We pray your blessing on these lives. We thank you, Jesus, that you speak beyond words to the deepest parts of who we are. And every time we hear your voice for ourselves, it brings life, it brings freedom, it brings hope, and it brings, Lord God, the most incredible joy. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now, why don't we encourage these people who have made this massive step in the direction of Jesus today. Reach your hand out towards them. Pray God's blessing on them. Ask God to fill them with his Holy Spirit. Pray that they would be completely restored in their relationship with Jesus. Pray. He will restore the years the locusts have eaten. He will give back what seems to be lost or forsaken. And he will build and rebuild your life to a place and a space that's much better than you could ever imagine right now. Because the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in mercy and abounding in love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So, yeah, Lord Jesus, let your grace and your mercy fall over our hearts and our lives today, Lord. And our Lord, as we go into our week, may you bless us. May the Lord keep us. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon us. May the Lord be gracious to us. Because 2024 is the year of the open door. May everyone in this room, Lord, step over the threshold into new realities with you. Deep spiritual experiences, profound outcomes, Lord God. Build your church. Build your church, Jesus. Make us ready for your return, Jesus. Fill our hearts with joy, we ask, in your precious name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you, church. Have a wonderful week.